Good afternoon, folks. This is Morgan Nitz here speaking with Philip Gland today for Art Blog Radio. Thank you, Philip, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Philip is an award-winning professor with a PhD in art history. He has taught at Pratt, Brooklyn College, Hunter College, and now Tyler School of Art. How long have you worked here? Um, I came in 2007, so that's about 12 years. Okay. Um, honestly, if you, if you ask Philip, he would probably tell you that um, I didn't like his class that much. <laughs> Mainly because uh, if I wasn't arguing, I was probably falling asleep. But this had very little to do with the class and everything to do with it being my final semester in school. In fact, I think Philip's class is one that I think about most often. And I would bet that this is true of many of the students who have taken it. This is a seminar class, a required class for all painting, drawing, and sculpture majors at Tyler School of Art. The one that I took was particularly steeped in art and labor. Can you speak a little bit about the structure of this class? Um, what kind of topics you covered and why you think it is essential for young artists studying painting, drawing, and sculpture to mm -hmm. take this class? <clears throat> okay. Um, the class is structured around questions of art and work or art and labor. Um, for several reasons. One, because I think it's it's a way to think beyond traditional sort of confines of how people think about art making, whether that's through medium or biography or, or reception and so on, and maybe thinking about it in a broader sense, how it relates to the way other people make things. That gives art still um, a status that is not the same thing, um, the same objects, the same processes, the same sort of ways of making things as other uh, uh, spheres of production, um, but, it's, but it allows us to think about it in a similar way and maybe ask questions that are not necessarily the most conventional art questions, meaning ask questions about utility and functionality and, and, and who is involved and how, how is it being made and uh, uh, to what end. Um, and the other reason is uh, 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 for this class that as tuition's rising, and uh, people, students have to take more and more loans out. The question of what am I going to do with this degree comes up more and more. And there's a demand, and rightly so, for professional practice, or an idea of what a professional practice looks like. And I was sort of hesitant to, to answer questions or, or address that, that topic from a perspective that would only... Uh, um, that would only focus on already existing ideas of what it means to be an artist. Mm. So that art work would always or predominantly mean making art objects, painting and sculptures or craft objects in a studio setting and showing them in a gallery or museum or something like that. Not that everybody does that, but it seems that most questions were geared towards this kind of idea of what it means to be an art maker. And I thought, okay, so rather than ask what is art, should I maybe ask what is work? So if an artist works, um, do they make those kind of things? What else can they make? And what else can they do? Because I believe there are a lot of different histories in the history of art where questions of production, questions of utilization, how does this thing work and who is the audience for it and what are the spaces where these things are being utilized and uh, shown and uh, uh, can they be more than objects? Can they be processes? Can they be tools and to what end? Those kind of questions. Yeah, especially because I remember I remember a lot of the things that we spoke about are, is what was considered not art and who was erased from that. Like, for example, we, we focused on 
women, we focus on people of color, and... Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> is, is, in the broadest sense, creative production something that is really limited to uh, the kind of space that a lot of people don't have access to? If you don't necessarily have or want to use those traditional materials or spaces, be they galleries or, or oil paint or, uh, uh, you know, but, but, but you, you think of artistic production or cultural production as something that is, is much more in line with uh, questions of uh, communication and, uh, uh, you know, sort of forging relationships among people uh, through the making um, of objects or performing things, performing identities and performing, um, uh, you know, beliefs and values and so on. In what kind of art history does that has, have space? And I think there are some of those histories, but I think it's worthwhile taking a closer look at those. And it's hard to broaden your, when money is the concern and finding a career is the concern, it's hard to figure out what a, a career in the arts could look like, or making, being able to survive while being an artist without necessarily being career-oriented. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm not sure if we actually looked at this, but what always struck me, did we look at this graph that was sort of showing un- and underemployment by major? Mm. The, and th those things come out all the time, right? You can set a, a clock by that. Uh, uh, every few years, there's this big, re it's always treated like a big, big reveal that, um, you know, artists compared to, I don't know, maybe nursing or law or employment with a fine arts degree in one's field, however that is defined, but is very low. Mm -hmm. It's around 10%, maybe 15 So if we are in art school and we're telling people, okay, you are having a degree or you, you're getting a degree in, in art, in fine art, right? What do those numbers mean to somebody when they are getting out of school? Does it mean they are sort of, they always are gunning for, are we always competing that over that those 10 or 15% of spots that are around in that very narrow category of what it means to be an artist? And don't get me wrong, I think that's a perfectly viable place, right? Uh, to be a studio artist, to be a showing artist. A lot of people who work here and, and do come out of here do that. But the question is whether or not there are alternate ways mm -hmm. of thinking about it. And <clears throat> I think if there has been a trend, and I've seen this at, at uh, institutions that I've been visiting lately, including, for example, the California College of the Art or Kansas mm -hmm. City Art Institute, the schools are, when they are talking to parents and when they're talking to their students and recruiting them, and uh, people are worried about income, how to pay off student loans, what is my child going to be, what am I going to be when I get out of art school? And the, there's the, the answer is either, well, you were going to be a famous artist, even though that chance is relatively small, but we're going to do our best to make that uh, happening for you. Or we have all these uh, uh, other things that we're going to teach you, which is problem solving, being creative, being independent, uh, having a good work ethic, and so on, that will then ideally, at least so the story goes, situate people in the right what we call creative industries or the create, become a part of the creative class, working for startups for Apple, for Google, you know, mm -hmm. where there really is a need for those kind of creative out-of-the-box thinkers. But I think still that that is a binary that on the one hand uh, uh, values sort of an autonomous art practice, which, right, how, how, and how far that is actually autonomous is questionable, and on the other hand, sort of a, a very commercial art practice. And I'm not sure that if we are uh, uh, considering ourselves to be a research institution, Right, which we are, Temple is an R1 university, research university, um, that we need to do better than simply feed 
students into two already existing categories of art making. The studio artist on the one hand, which I think, like I said, is a very viable, very yeah. good. And then this, this idea of this sort of serving the commercial industries on the other, which I think is also fine. I'm not a huge fan, but what, are, what, what outside that sort of divide or dichotomy or binary is there? And I think there are a number of very interesting things to be done. You went to school in Germany. Mm -hmm. What did the education system look like there, like in terms of especially mm -hmm. debt and loans? Well, that's, yeah, that's very different because, uh, you know, public ed education and ed higher education as well, meaning going to university in Germany is free. Mm. Meaning, or let me put it this way, apart from fees, um, this, it's a state, it's a federally and state-sponsored uh, school system. So nobody takes out loans other than maybe for, for living expenses. Mm. But even then, if you don't have that, there's something called BAföG, which is in, I forgot what the letters stand for, but <laughs> it is federal aid um, for students who, who need assistance simply to rent an apartment or find a, a place to live and, and pay for their groceries doing their studies and I think um, if I'm not mistaken uh, 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 um, if you qualify for that you, you don't pay back everything that they give you so it's almost the opposite it's not that you pay interest you pay back less so it, it, that has its drawbacks too I mean you know meaning that if the state's bankrupt the university really suffers right and there's always as you know unfortunately you know uh, public funding for things is always the first thing to get cut um, so I think that the German universities are an okay spot, uh, um, but there have been in the past attempts been made to increase or at least start some sort of tuition, and that has luckily been nipped in the bud, so it's been greeted with a huge outcry. Hmm. So you have, a, it's a very different system, um, it also has less uh, 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 possibility for people, there, there are fewer schools as, as hmm. in the US, and I mean that not only because the US obviously is bigger, but simply the number of schools, every big city has a university in Germany, but that's pretty much it. There are a few other uh, schools outside here and there, but the sheer number, because you have private institutions in the US, is much bigger. Does that, that's interesting because competition, um, you know, can be a main factor in progress for universities, but it also can be a negative right. drawback. I mean, are they building stadiums at all no. of their, yeah. <clears throat> there are, I, you know, and again, I'm, I've lived in the U.S. now for over 20 years, so I'm a little bit out of touch uh, when it comes to sort of the, um, the non-academic uh, uh, context of, of university life in Germany. But as far as I remember, university sports in this certain terms of this sort of industry that it has here, mm -hmm. whether it's football or basketball or anything else, that doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe because I've never really taken a close look, but I'm unaware of any such thing. So, no, I think you're right. I mean... The question is whether or not private institutions, yeah, yes, there's competition, is it for the right reasons, right? I mean, yeah. what does competition in academia actually mean, right? And if it's about funding and securing funding, how popular does a topic or a research area have to be in order to attract funding and so on? I'm not, I'm not sure. Right. I keep finding these articles about millennials um they have trouble taking care of themselves for example doing laundry grocery shopping right uh -huh. and no problem um logging extra hours at work um and a couple of the examples that they gave for this is kindergarten and college becoming norm uh and the educational system catering towards 
the idea that self-worth is tied to productivity. Um, I was wondering if you had thoughts about how this had steeped itself into the art world, because, for example, I noticed this tendency amongst artists my age sometimes to favor or praise art that requires extraneous labor, whether this is in terms of how many hours it takes to build it or how many hours it takes to research the subject. It more seems to be better. Um, there's also kind of a frowning at art that is clever or simple, even if it is smart and pulls conceptual weight, or even if it has practical uses. Have you noticed this as well, and is this new? Um, well, it's a long question. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, so, I think one of the, the reasons, or one of the texts that really got me interested in this topic of art and labor is actually, uh, uh, I think, something that we read in class, which is by Kathy Weeks. And, work. Right? She talks the about importance the of work. Or the problem with work. The problem yeah. with work, yeah. And, you know, who is uh, very critical of this notion of um, right, productivity in terms of self-worth, right? And who talks about post-Fordism or the post-industrial labor landscape is one that's sort of tied very much to uh, a work ethic that is about, not so much about what is being made, that, but that producing something, anything, right? That labor in and of itself no matter who it, it is for or who it benefits or who it doesn't, has worth in our society. Mm. The idea of working hard, and I remember people in New York especially who are saying, oh, I work so hard and so mm -hmm. long, and that seemed to be a, 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 you know, almost like a badge of honor, uh -huh. right? Um, without necessarily saying, like I said, to what end or for what purpose? So, um, I'm not sure um, whether I would tie that to millennials or not, but I think that in absence of um, other models of what labor looks like, um, of maybe producing or what's in critical theory called social labor, right? The idea of making something that sort of is done collectively and benefits not myself, whether it's an income or sort of my, my self-worth, as you put it, but has a collective meaning, has a, 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 a um, collective productivity, benefits um, the community, you know, that's not something that, that we're necessarily being taught. Mm. Um, you said that uh, kindergarten and college are mandatory at this point? I think that it was a lot more normal for people to not go to kindergarten. Okay. Um, maybe 10, 15 years ago than it is mm -hmm. now. I know it was pr fairly normal when I was going, but that was yeah. also having two working parents. Okay, okay. But are you, are, do you mean that it, it seems as if uh, um, it becoming more normative, meaning? Um, entering schooling earlier, Okay. this art article was arguing, um, instilled the idea that productivity is related to self-work okay. during a more formative time. Mm -hmm. And the fact that more and more people are going to college and that it's... Uh, seen as more shameful to not go to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I do think I wish that more people would go to college. If I wish it were free, so more people could go. Exactly to college. right. <laughs> um, but the question is then, what are, what are we teaching in college? Mm -hmm. Right. If we're teaching people um, to be productive without not, without necessarily asking what their productivity leads to. You know, I'm not sure. Um, I remember speaking of reading articles, um, an article a while ago about the, this must be years ago, uh, about the U.S. Uh, 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 university system, where 
this privatization of education, meaning that, you know, more and more the university was a, a gateway into job security, mm. right, into a particular profession or vocation. Um, as much as that may be a myth, right, because it seems like the work landscape is more and more precarious, right, people do take jobs that are, they don't have a lot of job security, right, mm. work uh, um, in places and, and for companies that don't give long-term con uh, contracts or have uh, great benefits or have some sort of job security. Um, but the lament was that universities used to be this place where there was thinking and, and, and you know, reading important books, etc., etc. So it almost seems as if there was this sort of very practical idea of making money versus this, I don't know, mythical or fabled notion of, of intellectual leisure. I'm not so sure um, that that's what the university ever was necessarily, mm -hmm. or if, or at least uh, uh, if, if that's what I would think it would be, um, sort of, again, having, having this, this either or, the useless, like the productively, beautifully, aesthetically useless versus the pragmatically utilitarian in terms of money or uh, uh, self-worth. Um, I wonder if the university, you know, if, if there, again, there's a, there's a place that, can, that is determined by other questions than this application versus non-application. You said something earlier about capitalism, um, right? I think capital thinks about those kind of things. What's productive, what's not productive. I think the main question would be, we need to redefine productivity. Yeah. And yeah, because I think another thing that this, when I was reading this, they were getting at is that it's similar to what you were just describing. It's, it's less uh, accepted or maybe feasible in our minds to for example, backpack across Europe. That was a big thing that was like, oh, you're going to find yourself and that's a, f a thing that uh, is going to lead for doors for you. You're going to figure out a lot about yourself. I think that something doing something like that now is seen as avoiding getting into the workforce or maybe um, right. uh, delaying your entrance into a career track sure. job. But don't you think it sort of... And I'm all for backpacking over Europe. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't get me wrong. But they seem to me to be related. On the one hand, it seems that the idea to backpack across Europe at this point is being couched in a language that says, discover yourself, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's almost like a self-finding trip rather than necessarily uh, one, um, and I'm not saying that's, it's like that for everyone, but rather than one that says, uh, look at the world. Mm -hmm. And work is also couched in, those, in, in, in that sort of language, right? The idea of... This is where you become somebody. This is where you are being professional. This is sort of where your work and your life intertwines. Do something that you really love. They seem to be both very centered around a very conservative and, and very uh, 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 idiosyncratic idea of what it means to be a subject. Very individualized. Yeah, right? I didn't even notice I was I was speaking about it that way until you pointed it out. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's and, and it's and don't get me wrong because I don't the the idea of leisure, right? Uh, uh, the idea of, um, and I think Kathy Weeks talks very eloquently about this, you have work and you have leisure, and uh, you know, we use both in order to sort of be very self-centered, mm. right, to fulfill our, our individual selves and, and wants, rather than maybe asking about collective needs. 
right? right? So that's why she, and I love this idea that, you know, she puts forward this, and it's not her idea, but, you know, she, she develops it or, or develops it further out of uh, uh, sort of other traditions, this idea of the refusal to work, which doesn't mean not doing anything, but it means refusing to work and not work according to the ways in which we have defined work. So is there a way to redefine it? And I think that, you know, for arts, to me, art, and I don't want to get into the idea of what art is or right. isn't, but to think about, to think of art as a place that critically looks at and transforms the ways in which we perceive the world, in which we frame the world, seems like an ideal place to think about if work, right, is in, is a working into the world, it's sort of me engaging with myself, with other people around me, and with my environment, to do that creatively, and to do that speculatively, and to do that in a utopian fashion that says, well, how else could I frame, interact, reach into, you know, engage my tools onto the world? That seems like a, like a, a perfect art school question to me. Yeah, right? absolutely. And going back to the... Uh, 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 sort of comparison between a German university and American university system, research is a huge emphasis. Or academia is, is defined in Germany by research. The, you have, so in, uh, vocational schools are separate schools. Mm. So, and I like that in the sense of research being the thing where you try to come up with something that you don't already have. Mm. So progress is defined not by more money, or growth in that sense, but by making suggestions, by sort of coming up. So if somebody asks me, well, if you're not interested so much in, or if you want to do something additionally to the sort of studio model and the commercial model in art, what would that be? Then I say, well, I don't know. Let's have a laboratory. Let's have a class about art and labor. Let's sort of talk about the things that we need. People need to be self-assured? Sure. People need to make money? All right. What else do we need? What are the real existing or future needs of our immediate environment, of society at large, that artists as creative professionals can address? That would be a beautiful thing, though. No? Yeah. I would like <laughs> it. <laughs> That's why this class was so frustrating, because it's, <laughs> because it's challenging. Everything mm -hmm. that you have been, kind of been taught, like, your whole life. And, um, but it's also beautiful. I also refer to that text all the time. The Kathy Weeks text. The Kathy Weeks text. Have sent it to countless people via email because I still have the PDF yeah, saved yeah, on my yeah. desktop. I think about it all the time. Were you here when she came and spoke? I um, was that during that semester. It was during a critical dialogue when I ironically had to work. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is. Um, but the the it's so strange because the text comes up over and over again, uh, and I'm glad that it's so so uh, uh, it comes up with you as well. But it was very telling or very strange when she came, when Kathy Weiss came and spoke here at Tyler. Afterwards, she came up to me and she said, this was really nice because it was a big turnout and a very successful talk. She said, this is not, she's a sociologist. She said, why are artists interested in this? I don't get it. Wow. So it just goes to show how people, how we ourselves, right, in an art environment think of art making, but also how other people perceive art making. And I think the contributions that art has made in the past 200, 500, I don't know, many years, fantastic, right? Yeah. Nobody's denying sort of the achievements in art. And, uh, but the, 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 the question of whether or not there isn't a way to sort of find and, and, and 
and explore alternate histories where things do different things and people make different stuff and uh, uh, you know what has fallen by the wayside and what we need to uh, to reconsider I think is an important one if and I think that labor is just one way to think about it I think there are other ways to think about mm -hmm. it you know technology is a way to think about it it's another thing that I'm very interested in and, and I teach a class on to think of art as a form of technology sort of simply to provide a foil or, or uh, 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 yeah another frame to look at something from a slightly different angle, right? As not to yeah. sort of constantly regurgitate the things that we already know. Not that those are useless or without value, but since we want to do some research, the question is, what else is there? And it seems that, you know, again, privatization of, of, of uh, 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 higher learning, people's need to actually have a job to ask those questions, right? Seems pertinent. Yeah, and you know what? The things that sometimes uh, frustrate me the most about the art world is, competitiveness and how unregulated it is are the mm -hmm. exact things that kind of allow it to constantly morph and you can look at things through so many different lens because there's such a lack of ultimately there is a lack of what art can be mm -hmm. uh, it, it can be so many different things and I'm something I loved about the sculpture department here mm -hmm. was that I was mainly doing video and installation and discussion mm -hmm. um, and I will always value the the tools that it gave me to think critically mm -hmm. um, what do you think about grad school <laughs> grad school, yeah, yeah. I, I'm serious because yeah. I mean I've gotten constantly I'm constantly told I should be going, okay. but I'm in so much debt right. that it seems absurd for me to think. Sure. What do I think about grad school? I think about grad school in a very similar uh, uh, vein. Meaning, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think it depends on what what it what are you looking what one is looking for. So I think for some people, there's a there's a, of course on the one hand very practical level, meaning it seems that most uh, uh, institutions of higher education, if you want to teach, you need to have a, a terminal degree and an art. It's that's so an cyclical. MFA. It's what's frustrating. It is. It it's is. like you have to go spend all this money to then become what a professor. That's right. That's right. It is. It is very uh, uh, cyclical. But so it seems like that's sort of the qualification. Right, and um, I'm not sure that you know that ultimately qualifies one, mm -hmm. right? But that's one of the reasons, I right? Agree. Right? Right? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, but idea the idea that art school ideally should ex so I'm not I'm not I'm less critical of the idea that you need a degree in order to teach than I am of what are we teaching mm -hmm. to make that degree actually something that prepares you for the things you ought to be doing, right? Because it's supposed to be a little bit of a control mechanism, right? Um, I think it's not the degree itself that's the problem, it's the money that it costs to get that degree and uh, uh, the yeah. question of what is being taught, mm -hmm. right? So, um, grad school, it's, yeah, it's so, I mean, I have, you know, I went to school forever. <laughs> So I, I'm not necessarily the right person to ask because I have an affinity for this idea of doing precisely that, studying, um, you know, reading, talking with other people, trying to sort of be productive in a collective way, hashing things out, make, you know, uh, uh, talking about ideas that we feel are worthwhile talking about. Um, so in that sense, I think, yes, everybody should be going to grad school. But just like I said, everybody should be going to college, um, but only, only if one it's affordable and two what is being taught there is more than simply uh, 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 um, a way to affirm that which we already know 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I think some people go to school, art school or otherwise, and they already know at the beginning what they will know two years later. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's a waste of time. It's right? true. For them as well as for us. So I think in order to make the MFA as well as many other graduate degrees um, worthwhile, and I think we're at the moment working very hard at this uh, actually at Tyler. We're uh, having discussions and it's in the making. Um, that we're sort of restructuring uh, the MFA program. Um, I think in order to, to sort of re-enliven and re-emphasize, uh, you know, graduate education, we have to come up with models that serve people beyond the question of uh, a cost-benefit analysis, mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because in the end, what is sort of the ideal of higher education? Right? The idea is to immerse yourself further in study. And if that is simply to, again, you know, for self-gratification or for greater marketability, I'm not sure those are the right reasons. Yeah. Right? Um, but in order to figure out how can we, as a group that gets together, address questions, problems, needs that seem pertinent to us, if we can do that, I would say absolutely. I wish it were easier for that to to exist outside of outside of academia, mm -hmm. um, and I think that there there are a lot of efforts specifically in Philadelphia to collectivize, um, and unfortunately, I think it's it's really hard without somebody being kind of a leadership mm -hmm. um, position or like a you know an educator educator position in there to mm -hmm. to figure out how that works, and that's an exciting problem to have. Course. It is, and I think you know there have been a lot of uh, efforts, and some are more famous, like the night school that happened in New York, or um, yeah, uh, the uh, Nicola Midnight Saint Clair. Do you remember mm. this? No, I don't. Oh, this was a, a great effort here, uh, established by uh, some former uh, graduate students uh, at Tyler. Ah. Um, that was a school and event and publication. Actually, ah. but like you said, it takes that is a it, school to have a school and make a school outside of these sort of established structures is a lot of work, mm -hmm. right? So who's going to do that? And at this, at a certain point, like many institutions, you run into problems that other institutions run into as well. Sustainability is one. For exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, to go back to uh, uh, the idea of public funding, we need more public funding, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but you say that, and uh, you know, at least in some parts of this country, as well as other countries, people say that socialist. Uh, you know, sort of the idea that uh, let them say it. <laughs> yeah, let them say it by all means. Uh, you know that we need to have more. Um, I never understood that there wasn't more investment in education. Yeah, it seems it's to be even problem. even for for people who are nationalists and uh, uh, you know. Um, who are sort of deeply invested in the economy, how could you not invest money from day one into schools, public schools, if everywhere? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think it'll... I have no point of entry into that line of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. I've always loved school. Um, and I think it's the one of the biggest... Cri I was just speaking with my friend who's an elementary school teacher uh -huh. about this yesterday. It's depressing think about the state of public education in America at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he was even telling me that there were there's some government um, incentive to basically um, medicate children in his school because they get a government incentive for every 
individualized education plan, IEP, yeah. that they have, um, which creates the desire for the school to find reasons to medicate these probably ADD medication. Right. right. And then that's how they get their funding for their school. Um, yeah, and it's pathetic, yeah. It's pathetic, yeah. But we are running a, a little long here, so I wanted to ask you one final question. Okay. Uh, you're an art writer yourself, and mm -hmm. I was wondering, since we are an online arts publication, if you have any advice for young art writers. Um, do I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know... Uh, uh, one of the things that I liked so much about Philadelphia was that you can, it, there's a lot of opportunities. And I think for, for young art writers um, to not feel intimidated by what academic discourse is, mm. um, but to, um, you know, immerse themselves in, in, in the many forms of writings that are possible, something more poetic, uh, something more essayistic, something more anecdotal without necessarily giving up criticality or insight, right, or mm -hmm. depth of analysis. And to take advantage of uh, uh, the sort of publications um, that exist. Uh, I know that Philadelphia has a great track record. Uh, Machete is one of them, right? Uh, do you, okay, um, uh, this is uh, uh, David Dempelwolf, who uh, is one of the co-founders of... Oh, I'm forgetting. The Margin Utility, which is also the first Oh, yes, 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 yes. They put out, I'm not sure if it's still around, but uh, I know that they are thinking about maybe reviving it, Machete. I mean, so, anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Nicola Midnight St. Clair um, had a publication. So I think that there are, this Title Magazine, right? There are numerous places here that are looking um, for contributors. And I think to simply do that, and then again, think about those efforts as something that is more than simply you know, shouting something out the way that we all do when we post something on the internet. Yeah. But the nice thing about it being a local, that it's a local scene, that mm -hmm. these uh, uh, publications have online or in print have a local range, that there is not this endless ether, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't shout it to the void. Um, but there is an audience, right? That uh, you Absolutely. can talk to directly, that you can, uh, in thinking about it as an engagement in a conversation with people who care about the same things in order to maybe, you know, carry the conversation a little bit forward, th that's what I would recommend. Absolutely. I mean, for example, everyone should write in to Beth Heinley at Ask Art Blog. Um, I will put a link in this, this uh, the, the description for this post because it is a conversation. We are all here, most of us listening to our blog radio, our Philadelphia people. <laughs> and um, we will be hosting an event at Tattooed Moms in June as well. We are a community here. Um, this has been an episode of Art Blog Radio that is available on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you so much, for Philip, for speaking My with pleasure. us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right.